0: Okay, everybody take out uh, a device that looks like this out of your pocket, or I bet two thirds of you have it in your hand right now. Take it out. Okay, brace yourself. On the upper right-hand corner, there's a button. It's not the silent button or the do not disturb button, it's the off button. And I have a challenge for you this morning. I want you to turn your phone off. Right now, turn it off. Not silent. Some of you are like, I ain't turning my phone off. Be a a participant here. (laughs) Turn your phone off. And at the end of this message, I'll share a little bit why. We're in the series about the five sola. And today, we are going to talk about the glory of God and the glory of God alone. The glory of God alone. So I want you to turn your cell phone off and give the Lord exclusively the next 25 or 30 minutes. How many of you can do that? We'll see. We'll see. God's glory alone. How many of you know that no one else gets the glory but, but God? God. In fact, the reformers would say that this is the sola of the five which holds the, all, to, all, all the rest of them together. And here's why they would say that. Why has God done what he has done in the world? For his glory. Why has God reconciled sinners through Christ alone? For his glory. I don't know if you see a theme. Why has God justified us through faith alone? For his glory. Why has God extended unmerited grace alone to sinners? For his glory. Why has God revealed himself through scripture alone? For his glory. Now here's the reality. So many Western Christians think he did it for them And I get it, motivated by love and the love that God has for you, it's easy to think that. But the reality is, and what scripture teaches us, is the reason God has done anything in this world, the reason he's done any saving, any delivering, any healing, anything at all in the world, from the life of Jesus forward in the church, is for his glory. So this is huge in your life. Why has God pulled you from the path of destruction? Thank you, Deanne. Let me rephrase that question. Why has God pulled you from the path of destruction? Good job, good job. We're going to be ecumenical today, okay? Why has God saved you, delivered you, and redeemed you? Why has God favored you, elevated you, strengthened you? Why has God gifted you, anointed you, and empowered you? Why has God healed you, provided for you, and blessed you? My friends, it wasn't for you. It was for his glory. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Second Corinthians, Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself that is approved. Well, look how awesome I am, or look at the blessings of God in my life. Man, I must be holy. No, no, no. It's those whom the Lord commends for his glory. This week, I got an email from a very, very smart person, and, uh, she's making some videos about quantum physics or something. And I don't understand it at all, but I watched them. And I thought to myself, why? And and we're not related, but why is Dr. Carlson doing these things? And I'm convinced in my conversations, in watching what she's doing, and in her heart, it's for the glory of God. It's because of his glory that we even understand some of the things we understand. How many of you know you're not that smart? But for the glory and the grace of God. It's for his glory. Scripture's full of demonstrations of the glory of god or declarations of the glory of god promises of the glory of god and even revelations of the glory of god so i'm just going to give you a few a few items a few lists if you will a list of these things in the bible and it's not exhaustive but in creation the heavens declare the majesty and the earth declares his glory how many of you know in creation we have the glory of god Moses at the burning bush, God showed Moses his glory, and we see a revelation of the glory of God. The ten plagues of Egypt, I think, like, man, how's that the glory of God? It's God proving that there's no other God but him. There's no other greater God but God. The cloud over the mountain in the tabernacle filling the temple. Elijah on Mount Carmel when the fire came down and consumed the altar. That's a powerful moment. Uh, Rakshak and Benny in the fiery furnace. reveals the glory of God. Daniel in the lion's den, when he shut the mouths of the lions and preserved this prophet of God is a a demonstration of the glory of God. The preservation of Israel through all kinds of nonsense. How many of you know some of their own development? Preserving Israel through captivity and through annihilation. I think the glory of God's displayed in the way that Jehu dealt with Jezebel. You can read it. Or in the revelation of God through all the Old Testament prophets. If you read the Old Testament prophets, God reveals his glory through what the prophets wrote. Or the power of the church in the New Testament. Or through the reconciliation of sinners back to right standing with God. Certainly through reconciliation and restoring restoration of, of people and lives and cultures and divisions in the New Testament. I love how in the New Testament, through the power of the gospel revealed in the glory of God, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female, there's no bond, no free. That doesn't mean that we're all the same. It means God doesn't recognize our social to economic ideas and our ethnic idea. He doesn't care what tribe you're from. You're from his tribe. And that's for the glory of God. He doesn't care what color you are. He doesn't care how much money you make. He doesn't, it's not important. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. God sees us as his children, part of his tribe. And why? For his glory. He's the only one who can do that. We've been working on it for several hundred years or thousands of years, and we hadn't figured it out yet. The glory of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ through the book of Revelation. And I think the greatest way that the Lord has displayed his glory to us is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the the son of God revealed in his humility, his power, his love, his sacrifice and his resurrection. How many of you know that's the greatest demonstration of the glory of God? Martin Luther said, It is not sufficient for anyone, and it does him no good to recognize God in his glory and majesty unless he recognizes him in the humility and shame of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest display of the glory of God. So, I've got four questions I want us to wrestle with this morning as it relates. To the glory of God. So here's the first one. What do we need to understand about the glory of God? We sing songs about the glory of God. We read scriptures about God's glory. You know, there, last Sunday we read the dox, uh, one of the doxologies to him, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How many of you know that's a doxology? It's a worship moment. It's a, it's a way we express in our human finiteness, I don't know if that's a word, in our human finiteness, uh, the glory of God in our lives. It's how we do it is through the words that we say. So what do we need to really understand about God's glory? Well, first, the glory of God is first and foremost about God himself. It isn't about his creation, it isn't about his redemption, it isn't about his love. First and foremost, the glory of God is about God himself. He's revealed his glory to all mankind. Read Romans chapter 1, even those who've never heard the name of God or the name of Jesus have experienced and seen and understood the glory of God through his creation. He's revealed himself over and over through every generation, his glory. He's demonstrated his majesty through all time, through various opportunities and things that God has done, whether it's rescuing Israel or performing miracles or doing great things for people who frankly didn't deserve it, displays the glory of God. The glory of God is about God. The, number two, the glory of God glorifies his people. And I I like this because it means that we, through the power of God and through the glory of God, that he lifts up his people. Aren't you glad God's lifted you up? How many of you say God's lifted me up? I just want you to know it wasn't because you were pretty. If you remember last Sunday, I talked about why did God save Paul? It wasn't because Paul was pretty. In fact, most people think he was rather ugly. He probably looked like Michael Ivey. Oh, did I? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's only because he has less hair than I have. Otherwise, I'd have said me. He didn't save him because of anything except that he wanted to display the glory of God in Paul's life. Why did he save you? Because he wants to display the glory of God in your life as, your, as his people. And number three, the glory of God enables God's people to reflect his glory. In fact, it's the main reason that we're, we're, we were created, why we were put on this earth is to reflect the image of God and the glory of God through his gracious work of salvation in our lives, through our worship, which is not songs and lifting our hands. How many of you know our worship is how we live our life? So let, let me ask you this question here. This isn't one of my four, but is your life reflecting the glory of God. That's a heavy question. If you really want to examine it, it's a heavy question to say, is my life, my attitude, the way of my being, what I, the ways that I think, the ways that I speak, is my life reflecting the glory of God? It's the glory of God that enables us to reflect his glory, and it's what God desires through our worship and our defiance to the world. We are to stand against the world, against the grain of the world, how many of you know that you 're not to jump into the flow of the world. We are to be contrary. We are in the world, but not of the world. Why? so that we can demonstrate or display the glory of God in our lives, and then through our obedience to the Word of God and to His statutes, you need to understand the glory of God is about God, it glorifies his people, and it helps us, it enables us to reflect. His glory. So it leads to a second question, because if, and this is a, a, a real question that as I was preparing and studying and thinking, this question came to my heart, so maybe it, it comes to yours. If everything God does and all that God is, is about his glory, is God the great divine narcissist? Seriously. God, if it's all about you, I mean, when we say that about one another, have you ever met somebody whose life was all about them? And what do we say? Wow, you're a narcissist. I mean, we don't say it out loud. We just think it in our head, right? So is God a divine narcissist? And, you know, of course the answer is no. But let me, let me share with you why I think God is not the divine narcissist. First of all, God existed before there was an existence, so he's the author of his own glory. Does that make sense? Like, like there was nothing before God, if you will. There, there is no before God. So there, there was nothing to be glorified. There was nothing except for his own glory that existed. Because of his nature, there is not, has never been and never will be any kind of being with a greater glory. So like when God seeks his own glory, it's only because he's seeking out that which was his to begin with, and no one else has ever had it. The second thing I, I would say about this is this, God is the standard for all things. Let me, let, me, let me show you what I mean. When the author of Hebrews is writing in Hebrews chapter 6, and he's writing about Abraham And when God and Abraham made a covenant together, it says this in verse 13 For when God made a promise to Abraham, there was nobody greater to swear by. It's why when we swear, we swear to the Lord. Not like cuss swear. I mean, like, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. So help me God. Why? Because He is the standard. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's the standard. He is the standard of holiness and justice and righteousness and beauty and power and majesty. There is no one greater. So when God has to make a promise, he swears by himself. We cannot do that because how many of you ever broke a promise before? How many of you already broke a promise this morning and turned your cell phone back on? Don't admit that. Don't admit that. Yeah, because we're imperfect. We are, we are not the standard. And thank God we're not the standard. He's the standard. Number three, God needs nothing and no one to make him glorious. He himself is glorious and full of majesty. I, I like this. And this is talking about Christ who is, who is God, Colossians 1:15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. Like, do you understand how significant that is? It wasn't a bang. I mean, maybe God made it bang. I don't know, right? Let there be like, bang, I don't know. I wasn't around to hear it. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So all those, what did you call those things? Those little things that, well, I don't, it doesn't matter. They had a weird name, never heard of it in my life. He made those things that we can't even see. The tiniest, smallest molecules that no one, I don't even know, that's not even the smallest thing, right? Atoms and Adams are not the smallest. She's shaking her head like those aren't the smallest. There's something smaller maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. When it says visible and invisible, he's saying he made all the small little dinky things that nobody can see except Dr. Carlson. <laughs> Whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? Hey, mom and dad, your kids weren't created for you. They were created for him. You think you planned it? You think you had it all figured out? Uh Uh-uh, God did it for him. Why? For his glory. He wanted to create beings in his image. So he made them reflect his image for his glory. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. People said to me recently, I don't know what people do who don't have the Lord. That's right, because it's only him who holds things together. He's holding your life together, and if his hands ever removed from your life, you're in real trouble. He is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's saying that our sin and the brokenness of this world separated mankind and human nature from God, and we were separated. And the Lord said, I can't do that anymore. So because I need to be reconciled, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that we can be reconciled to God, but not for us, so his glory is complete. It's put back together because we ruined it. You say, no, Adam and Eve ruined it. No, 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 you sinned. We ruined it. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So look, God needs nothing and no one to make him glorious. He just simply is glorious. But lastly, why is he not the divine narcissist? Because God shares his glory with his people. Can I just say to you, there's no other false god in the world or on the planet that's ever been invented or thought of that shares his glory with people. But God does. He uses his own glory for the benefit of those who love and serve Him. It was for the joy of the cross that Jesus left His throne and came to Earth. It wasn't a a dirgeful thing. It wasn't a a, a thing He He. I know I know He wanted a different way in the Garden, but it wasn't it wasn't that God uh, was was really downtrodden when He came to Earth. It says He with joy went to the cross. Why? Because He knew if He reconciled men to God, that His glory would be redeemed. He would be glorified. Jesus even said, Glorify yourself in me, Father, through the cross. He shares his glory with his people through the works in the world that he does, through the things he does in our life, through the revelation of Scripture, through his plan for history, through his work in carrying out eternal counsel, through his supreme and ultimate sovereignty. You have to be at a place where you love the glory of God to be comfortable in the sovereignty of God. But his sovereignty is his glory and through his election of his people. Okay, enough theology. How do we live for the glory of God? Question three, how do we live for the glory of God? If everything is by him, for him, through him, because of him, you know, (laughs) All those things that Paul writes in Colossians, if all that that is true, then it's our responsibility as followers of Christ to live for his glory. So how, how do we do that? I think the answer is also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. There's that word again today. To which indeed you were called to in one body, and be thankful... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks and glory to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, in, in word or deed, I want you to notice something. Reflecting the glory of God in our lives, living for the glory of God in our lives, has a lot more to do with how we live with others than it does our worship of God on a Sunday morning during a worship service. Amen. Amen. And that's what Paul's trying to say. It's not about how perfectly you can lift your hands, make sure you don't have stains. It's not how you can sing the song. It's not, it's not any of those things. It is really living the glory of God is living our lives in such a way that reflect his glory to the world. So what does he say? I'm going to give you a couple of things. He says, one, we've got to put on. Here, you ready? What we've got to put on? Compassionate hearts. So we've got to be moved in our spirits by lostness, brokenness, the downcast, and the pagan. Not to mention our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but let me give you the caveat and and what it means we can't do. We got to stop being annoyed by them. I've never understood why Christians are annoyed that sinners sin. I've never quite understood that. The Bible saying, "Be compassionate and have a compassionate heart that is moved by these things, moved by those that are far from God, and certainly moved by our brothers and sisters in the Lord." It says, "Put on kindness," and I would say, especially kindness where it is not reciprocated. Being kind to people who are not kind to you or are not kind at all. anybody met somebody like that? The admonition is, "Be kind." to those who don't deserve kindness in return. Be kind. Humility, oh, that's a fun one. It's impossible to have a conceited view of yourself while keeping God and his majesty in its rightful place. You know, I'd say this, if you are not a humble person, and you know, most most people who aren't humble don't know they aren't humble until somebody tells them. And then they're like, I'm totally humble. But humility, true humility, keeps God in His proper place in majesty and in glory, and keeps us in our proper place as a created being by God. Meekness has put on meekness, gentleness towards others in attitude, patience as we grow and develop. But patience is being patient with people as they're growing and coming, you know, figuring out life, and you know, we're slow, like God, we want to be slow to anger. But it does not mean that we don't demand that we as believers or brothers and sisters are growing in the Lord. If you stop growing in the Lord, it is not impatient for someone who loves you to say, What is going on? Why are you stunted? That does not mean we're not meek, we're not humble, or we're not patient. It means we love you. He says, Put on forgiveness. So you've got to release those who've wronged you. I won't take a poll this morning, but if if you're here in this place and you have unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone saved or unsaved, the admonition is to reflect his glory, you've got to learn to forgive. And lastly, he says, above everything else, put on love. Why does he say above all else? Because it's love that holds it all together. Love motivates forgiveness, motivates patience, motivates meekness, motivates humility, motivates kindness, and motivates compassion. Love is everything. Then he says this, you got to put these things on, but then you've got to release some things among us. We've got to release the peace of Christ. In other words, we're not going to strive for ourselves. We're going to refuse to be offended. We're going to refuse gossip. We're going to refuse ugliness. We're going to have the peace of Christ in our body and in our lives, which leads to unity with one another and unity with the Spirit of God. Amen? If you have offense in your heart, if you're holding on to offense because somebody said something you didn't like or somebody did something to you that you didn't like, not only do you need to forgive them, but you've got to rid yourself of those kinds of things so that we can be one body and you can be one with the spirit of God in alignment with him. Offense and the lack of the peace of Christ or striving and ugliness in your life takes you out of unity with the things of God. He says to be thankful, put on thankfulness. I said something about thankfulness back in the Christmas series, and somebody told me after one of the services, it is, that it's scientifically proven. It is impossible to be thankful and have anxiety at the same time. I didn't know that. It would have been great for the sermon. I so said, why don't you tell me that beforehand? Well, here it is. It's a, if you have anxiety, change your, your outlook and become Thankful. So I say this, I say, look, if you have a journal or or whatever, start writing things every day. If you deal with anxiety, start writing things every day that you're thankful for. I'm thankful for these things in my life and express them outwardly. And science says your brain will literally over time rewire and you will not deal with anxiety in the same level because you cannot be anxious and thankful at the same time. It's impossible. That's not like a hyperbole thing. That's what science is telling us. He says, indwell the word of Christ richly or consume the word of God, consume the things of God abundantly, apply wholly to your life, incompleteness to your life, the word of the Lord. He says, put on wisdom. I won't talk about wisdom, but how many of you need Wisdom. He says, worship and pray, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. Ephesians, Paul tells us that we should pray and worship continuously. We're always worshiping and praying privately and corporately. Why do you think? I tell you all the time, you need to come pray with me at nine o'clock on Sunday, because there's something, an admonition of the glory of God when we reflect his glory together. Some of you are like, I just don't want to come. Well, You're killing me. Come pray. Come worship. When you're in worship service and you're checking out phone stuff and you're just disconnected or you just don't want to come to church anymore, so you just watch online, you're not part of the body of Christ. I'm sorry, you're not part of the body of Christ, and you need to be in the body of Christ. Why? Because it's the wholeness together. It's the corporateness of it. It's the private. It's your own devotional life. Like, we're not going to show up tomorrow and all fast together in the room, okay? So you're on your own. But next Sunday, we should corporately come and pray and worship and seek the Lord. Why? Because that's what the Lord is telling us if we're gonna reflect his glory, not only do we as individuals reflect his glory, but corporately as a body, we reflect his glory. And then last, you've got to embrace a mindset of word and deed for his glory. What would change in your life? What would change in the world if everything you said and everything you did went through the lens of his glory? Does, does this coming out of my mouth, reflect the glory of God? Does my attitude reflect the glory of God? Does what I just said to my spouse reflect the glory of God? Does what I'm doing right now or what I'm getting ready to do, does it reflect the glory of God? Man, if we would think about that, a lot would be different. Second, a healthy and comprehensive fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord keeps God in the right place. It's not a fear of God like he's going to get you. It's It's a awe and wonderment and reverence of God. And then lastly, living for eternity. Abundant life is the promise of God, but it's not the end goal. Listen to me. Abundant life is a promise of God, but it is not the end goal. Our goal is not just to have an abundant life. Our ultimate goal is to live for him, reject the world, and spend eternity in his presence. If your goals, if you have any goals in your life that are higher than that, you've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. Worship team, if you want to come. Last question. What stands in the way of living our lives for the glory of God. What gets in the way? What's in the way? You could probably make a list right now of the things that you feel like get in the way in your life of the glory of God. I'm gonna give you three. Number one, narcissism. It's not God who's narcissistic, it's us. And you know why? It's a great trick of the enemy because it's this. When we humanize God or we elevate ourselves, bring God and us on the same playing field, on the same level, we lose any capacity for the fear of the Lord and we begin to act like the people of Noah's day or the people described in Revelation that when God sent judgment because he is higher, they did not repent, they shake their fist. Why? Because we're fully disappointed in a God who looks like us. Because you know what it is? We don't want a God who looks like us. And the reason that we make God look like us is so that we can do and live however we want. Because if God's just like us, we're not going to judge ourselves, so he won't judge us either. My friend, just because you have convinced yourself that in your head does not change the fact that he is far higher and glorious than you. So narcissism keeps us from living in the glory of God. Number two, distractions. It's why I asked you to turn your cell phone off today. Cell phones, these little devices are literally rewiring our brains. And theologians are starting to say people cannot contemplate the things of God. We cannot focus to read about the things of God. We cannot spend extended periods of time in prayer or worship or even listening to Jeff Carlson's sermons because we're so distracted. We're always multitasking. We're always doing 17 things at once. And when we do that, we defame the glory of God. And it's causing great harm to the people of God. In fact, one theologian says this, we are in danger of losing our ability to cultivate the most important intimate relationship we can ever have, our relationship with God, because we can't put down our phone. Some of you have been anxious since I told you to turn it off. Some of you have picked it up multiple times during the service, forgetting that you turned it off, but because it's habit. You with me? Watch yourself. Pay attention to it. Look, here's why. It's taking us away from the ability to reflect the glory of God and know the Lord. And lastly, we have to embrace a worldview that is God's view. We have to stop embracing a worldview that is contrary to God's view. We have to stop compromising truth. We have to stop doing things by how we feel and what we want rather than what is in the word of God and what is in the things of God and what is on the authority of God. When we choose our way over his way, we defame the glory of God. But when we choose his ways... When we choose to live our life by the glory of God and for the glory of God, we will choose a view of this world that is his view. You can understand all the quantum physics. I hope, I said to somebody a couple weeks ago, I really hope they invent time travel and I'd like to go. But you know what I want more? I want my life to reflect the glory of God. You can learn all you want to learn. You can have all the knowledge. You can have all the experience. You can do everything this world has to offer. But if you don't cultivate your relationship with God, if you don't live in a place that reflects his glory, you will have gained the world but lost your soul because it's his glory that holds it all together. We need to right the ship Americans, we need to steer back towards the things of God and God's glory. We need to deal with ourselves, whether we're narcissistic or fully distracted, or whether we've embraced a worldview that's contrary to God's view. We need to steer back and choose the glory of God. So let's pray, and he'll help us. How many of you need help? choosing the glory of god lift your hand all over the room come on how many of you need help lord you see us right now i want to reflect your glory i don't just want to live my life i want to reflect your glory and i pray right now in the name of jesus that you'd help me because i can't do it myself i want you to reflect your glory in my victories and in my failures when I'm struggling, when I'm walking through pain, I want you to, ref- I want to reflect your glory. When I'm walking on the top of the mountain, Lord, so help me not to be a narcissist. Help me not to think of my own awesomeness. Help me to reflect your glory. Help me, God, not to be distracted, to put down my phone sometimes, to turn it off sometimes so I can focus in on the things of God. Help me to close my computer and stop multitasking and doing all these things and instead Sabbath and rest, God, in your presence so that I can reflect the glory of God. And Lord, help me, I pray, to embrace the truth of your word and the truth of how you see us in this world. Let me live by a godly, biblical worldview, not the way this world tells me to think. So transform me by renewing my mind, I pray. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.